You're listening to Julie's Library, where books bring us together. Today we're going to read Joan Proctor, Dragon Doctor by Patricia Valdez, illustrated by Felicita Sala, and Mr. Crumb's Potato Predicament by Anne Reynaud, also illustrated by Felicita Sala. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Julie Andrews, and this is my library. As always, my daughter Emma Walton-Hamilton is here. Hello. We're so excited to read with you today. You know, Emma, I found today's books while strolling through the library's collection of biographies. Ooh, how exciting. I love reading true stories about people's lives. I know. It's thrilling to hear about real-life adventures. When I was young, I loved to read biographies and think about what I wanted to be when I grew up. I would imagine myself as a groundbreaking scientist or a famous painter or maybe even an Arctic explorer. (laughs) We asked some of our friends to share their dream jobs with us, and here's what they had to say. So my dream job is going to be face painting, and I want to make people's face sparkle. A civil rights lawyer, so there would be justice for all. An entomologist, because I like insects. A teacher. A scientist. A hypotherapist. A hypotherapist helps children with special needs by introducing them to horses and other animals. A puppeteer. The ones who make puppets and do the acts. A travel photographer. And I'd really like to do that because I think that pictures have the capacity to change the world, and I want to be able to make a difference. Oh, that was marvelous. Listeners, we'd love to hear about your dream jobs, too. Tell us about them, or maybe even draw a picture of future you. You can send them to us by visiting julieslibraryshow.org. There are so many different ways to leave your mark on the world. Some are grand, like inventing a new medicine, and others are smaller, like helping to start a community garden. That's right, and both are important in their own ways. I can't wait to hear about the real-life people who inspired today's books. Well, let's settle into the reading nook and get ready to hear their stories. Nothing makes me happier than sitting down with a book in our fabulous reading nook. With cozy pillows all around. A glowing lamp shines its light on the pages. There's a squishy rug under our feet. And a map of the world marked with all the places we hope to explore one day. Now, we're ready to read. Joan Proctor, Dragon Doctor, by Patricia Valdez. Back in the days of long skirts and afternoon teas, a little girl named Joan Proctor entertained the most unusual party guests. Slithery and scaly, they turned over teacups. They crawled past the crumpets. While other girls read stories about dragons and princesses, Joan read books about lizards and crocodiles. Instead of a favorite doll, a favorite lizard accompanied her 
wherever she went. Each day after school, Joan retreated to her bedroom where she studied lizards, snakes, and turtles. She took careful notes, just like a scientist. And on the days Joan was too sick to attend school, tiny toes and eager eyes cheered her up. The reptiles were quiet and watchful, just like Joan. For her 16th birthday, Joan received a most curious gift, a baby crocodile. She tied a little ribbon around his waist and took him for a walk. She even brought him to math class one day. The student shrieked. The teacher recoiled. Apparently, crocodiles were not welcome at school. When Joan grew older, she skipped the parties and dances with her friends. Instead, she sought out the curator of reptiles and fish at the Natural History Museum. There, Joan and the curator talked snake scales, size, shape, texture, patterns, and even evolution. Sometimes Joan smuggled in her crocodile to the delight of the curator. He knew right away that Joan was special. But soon, these carefree days came to an end. England was at war. Women took up jobs left behind by men. The curator found himself short-staffed at the museum, so he hired Joan as his assistant. Joan flourished at the Natural History Museum. As a scientist, she surveyed the museum's vast collections and published research papers on pit vipers and pancake tortoises. As an artist, she created exquisite models and drawings for the reptile exhibits. When the curator retired, Joan took over. Men returning from war were surprised to find a woman in charge, but times were changing and Joan was leading the way. A few years later, the London Zoo decided to replace its old, outdated reptile house. The zoo director asked Joan to design a new home for the animals. Joan knew exactly how to keep reptiles happy. She added elaborate lighting and state-of-the-art heaters that provided hotspots to keep the cold-blooded animals warm. She brought in plants and created artwork that mimicked each animal's natural environment. Joan took extra care designing one enclosure in particular. By this time, stories had emerged of a fierce man-eating lizard with a long forked tongue living on the faraway Indonesian island of Komodo. It was rumored to be 30 feet long, faster than a motor car, stronger than an ox. They called it the Komodo Dragon. The stories didn't frighten Joan. 
She dreamed of studying the dragons up close. On opening day of the new reptile house, visitors packed the zoo. They gawked at the geckos, they peered at the pythons, and they marveled at the monitors. But when they reached Joan's special enclosure, they gasped. Two seven-foot-long lizards stared back at them. Real-life dragons. Although the visitors were thrilled, Joan was concerned. One of the Komodo dragons, Sumbawa, did not look well. To the shock of the zoo guests, Joan entered the enclosure. She moved Sumbawa to the reptile clinic with the help of six nervous keepers. The dragon let Joan clean a saw in his mouth with no fuss at all. In fact, he thanked Joan by licking her face. Joan thought Sumbawa was brave. The keepers thought Joan was brave. News of Joan and the Komodo dragons spread. Reporters flocked to the reptile house with questions. Had she ever been bitten? Was she afraid of the dragons? What kind of woman runs a reptile house? Joan wished the reporters would ask about the animals instead. Joan cared for each and every creature in the reptile house. From daily health checks to delicate surgeries, her dedication and talent could not be matched. Scientists all over the world read about Joan's research, her clinical skills, and the success of the new reptile house. She became an international sensation. The Zoological Society of London invited Joan to present her Komodo dragon research at a scientific meeting. As Joan took the stage, she wheeled out Sumbawa, sitting freely atop a large table. The audience squirmed in their seats. Joan stroked Sumbawa's head and fed him a pigeon. He ate it in one gulp. Zumbawa wandered through the audience as Joan explained that the reports of Komodo dragons were greatly exaggerated. They could grow up to 10 feet, not 30. They ran fast, but not as fast as a motor car. They could be fierce, but they were mostly gentle. When Joan finished her presentation, Zumbawa returned to her side. The audience erupted in applause. Joan's passion for reptiles never waned. For the rest of her life, she could be found walking or riding through the zoo with Sumbawa by her side. And just like when she was a little girl... Joan often hosted children's tea parties at the reptile house with her scaly friends. Sumbawa was the guest of honor. The end. What a fascinating story. 
I love hearing about the pioneering women who worked in jobs that were once considered only for men. Absolutely. Joan followed her passion and changed the way people saw reptiles. She was brave and also so kind to the animals she studied and cared for. It's so interesting looking into the past through books. You can see how different things are today, but also how some things are the same. Our next book is also inspired by a real-life person, a chef. Mmm, sounds delicious. We'll dig into that book right after a short break. Hey, listeners. Our friends at Smash Boom Best are back with 16 brand new episodes. Smash Boom Best is a debate podcast for the whole family. Each episode takes two cool things, smashes them together, and asks you to decide which one is best, like vampires versus werewolves, ice cream versus french fries, pandas versus penguins. Using facts and the power of persuasion, debaters teach real skills about constructive debate and making sound arguments. Listen to Smash Boom Best wherever you listen to podcasts. Emma, do you have the next book? Indeed. Our next book is served. Mmm, I can't wait to devour it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's open it up. Mr. Crumb's Potato Predicament by Anne Renault. George Crumb loved to cook. He fricasseed and flambéed, boiled and braised, poached and pureed. He made sorbets and soufflés, stews and succotashes, ragouts and goulashes. George loved cooking so much his house ballooned with food, so he opened a restaurant called Crumb's Place and hired a waitress with cheeks round as plums named Gladys. George cooked to his heart's content, and his customers devoured his concoctions. Many considered him to be the best cook in the county. That is, until one day, when in walked a peculiar-looking patron. He wore a purple polka-dotted cravat and a sunflower on his lapel. Filbert P. Horsefeathers is the name, he trumpeted. The P stands for punctilious, and I have a hankering for a heaping helping of potatoes. Just potatoes, said Gladys. Just potatoes, said Filbert. So, with a swish of his apron and a tap to his chef's hat, George got to work. He cut the potatoes into wedges, boiled them, fried them in a dollop of lard, and sprinkled them with salt. Then Gladys set the potatoes down in front of Filbert Punctilious Horsefeathers. Filbert speared a wedge with his fork and peered at it from all sides. Too thick, he said, pursing his lips and pushing his plate away. Well, huckleberry biscuits, said Gladys. The customer at table five is sending his plate back. Picky, 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 muttered George, who had never before had a customer refuse his cooking. So, with another swish of his apron and a tap to his chef's hat, George prepared a plateful of thinner wedges, and Gladys set them down in front of Filbert Punctilious Horsefeathers. 
Filbert speared a wedge with his fork, peered at it, and took a teeny tiny nibble. Still too thick and bland as burlap, he said, rolling his eyes and pushing his plate away. Well, flying flapjacks, said Gladys. The customer at table five is sending his plate back again. Fussy, 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 muttered George, who proceeded to cook a plateful of even thinner wedges, this time with an extra splash of salt. When Gladys set the potatoes down in front of Philbert Punctilius Horsefeathers, Vilbert speared a wedge with his fork, peered at it, nibbled it, and then took a bean-sized bite. Ah, still too thick, still bland, and undercooked, he said, puffing out his cheeks and pushing his plate away. Gladys let out a tut-tut, a tisk-tisk, and a snort, hmm. then picked up the plate and returned to George's kitchen a third time. This cannot be, said George. Everyone loves my spuds. They are scrumptious. They are succulent. They are sublime. Not according to finicky, persnickety, filbert, punctilious horse feathers, said Gladys. Now, George was known to his customers to be a bit of a prankster, and his daily menu was evidence of his lively sense of humor. To draw a laugh or two, George often listed menu items that were, shall we say, somewhat unusual. Today's specials. Stewed skunk in sassafras sauce. Pickled possum pancakes. Grilled groundhog en croute. So, in the spirit of playfulness, George took one more potato and carefully balanced it on his chopping block. With his finest, sharpest knife, he slowly shaved it into the thinnest, slimmest, and trimmest of slices. He heated a ladleful of lard in his pan and fried the slices until they were so crispy they crackled. And then he showered them with salt. Let's see how Mr. Horsefeathers fancies these spuds, said George with a wink. With a wisp of a smile, Gladys set the plate down in front of Filbert Punctilius Horsefeathers. Filbert turned the plate this way, then that way. He tried spearing one of the potato slices, but it splintered. So Filbert put down his fork, and with his fingers, he stacked the slices until they teetered. Then he cracked one. And he snapped one. Only after that did Filbert Punctilius Horsefeathers pop one into his mouth. Perfection, he proclaimed. And before you could say prickly porcupine pie, Filbert had munched, crunched, and gobbled up every last morsel. I guess the joke is on you, said Gladys when she returned the empty plate to George. Fire up that frying pan one more time. I want to try those for myself. So, with a swish of his apron and a tap to his chef's hat, George did exactly that. Why, my taste buds are tap dancing, exclaimed Gladys after sampling George's new creation. 
delectable and delicious, declared George after he too ate a few. I'll call them Crumbs Crisp Crispies and put a plateful on every table. Word spread, and before long, people from all over the county and far, far beyond were clamoring for George's new concoction, which came to be known as potato chips. The end. Oh, what a delight. That book was such fun. It made me hungry. Me too. And it's based on a real chef named George Crumb. He worked at a restaurant called Moon's Lake House in New York in the 1850s, about 170 years ago. Uh, Do you think he really invented potato chips? Well, it's not quite clear. The story about him inventing the potato chip has been told by a number of people, but it may just be a legend. So, part of the story may be imagined. Maybe. But we do know for sure that George was a talented chef who made many popular dishes. In fact, his crispy potatoes were so popular that people would travel from far and wide to eat them. So, although the story may not be 100% true, it was inspired by a true story. I love learning about history from books like this. It can give you a sense of what life was like for people long before any of us were born. Oh, that sound means we have a message. Well, let's see who it's from. Hey, Julie. Hey, Emma. This is Adrian Miller. I'm a soul food scholar who's dropping knowledge like hot biscuits. History is important because it helps us to understand the world that we live in and other people. Food history is really important because we all eat, and by understanding the food of someone's culture, you get to understand their family, where they come from, and what's important to them. One of my favorite food stories is Kool-Aid pickles, known as Kulikles. So the Kulikle comes from the Mississippi Delta, part of the American South. Uh, In the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, kids would go to gas stations or convenience stores, and typically they would have jars of really big pickles And so you would buy the pickle, you would cut the tip off of it, and then you would get a peppermint stick that had a hole in the middle, so it's like a big straw. And they would stick the peppermint stick in the soft part of the pickle, and they would let the pickle juices kind of dissolve the peppermint stick, and then they would suck on it. The Kulikul, I think it's just kind of the next version of that. So if you want to make a Kulikul, all you need to do is get a jar of already made kosher dill pickles, take the pickles out, poke holes in them or cut them, and then make Kool-Aid with the pickle brine. And then you put the pickles back in that jar and close it and leave it there for two weeks and then open the jar, take them out and eat them. And really, it's just a sweet and sour combination. So if you like the taste of pickles and you like the taste of Kool-Aids, it's one of the best things you could ever eat. That's just one example of a fun food origin story. But the cool thing is that you can just create your own foods. So think about foods that you really like and figure out what can go together and go for it. That's all for now. So bye, Julie. Bye, Emma. Talk to you soon. What fun. I loved hearing about the history behind the cool nickel. The past is brimming with funny and fabulous stories. I know. And learning about history can spark so many fantastic new ideas. And it doesn't hurt when that history comes with a side of potato chips or peppermint pickles. (laughs) Learning about history is truly wonderful. And speaking of wonderful, I'd say it's time for... Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful words. 
There are so many wonderful words in the world, and Mr. Crumb's potato predicament is full of some particularly tasty ones. For instance, the word predicament. Not only do I find it fun to say, it has a useful meaning too. It means a difficult situation. For example, choosing my favorite word is quite a predicament. Aha! <laughs> this book also had one of my favorite words, persnickety. It means to be very fussy or picky, like Mr. Horsefeathers, persnickety. Another fun and useful word. Yes, I like that word too. Let's hear some of our listeners' wonderful words as well. My favorite word is stumped. Not the stump, like a fallen down tree. It's stump, like you stump someone. Bunnies, because they're cute. And mummy, because I love her. And watermelon, because it's yummy. Atmosphere, because it relates to space, and I love space. Aquatic, because it sounds smooth like water. Thank you. Brilliant. We love hearing your wonderful words. So please keep sharing your favorites with us. Send them to us by visiting julieslibraryshow.org, and we'll play some of your responses on the show. We can't wait to hear from you. We'll be back next week with more books that we've picked out just for you. Happy reading and bye-bye. Julie's Library is hosted and produced by Julie Andrews and me, Emma Walton-Hamilton. The featured books in this episode were Joan Proctor, Dragon Doctor by Patricia Valdez, illustrated by Felicita Sala, published by Knopf Books for Young Readers from Penguin Random House, and Mr. Crumb's Potato Predicament by Anne Renault, and illustrated by Felicita Sala from Kids Can Press. Thanks to the teams at Penguin Random House and Kids Can Press. We always recommend picking the book up for yourself. You can find Joan Proctor, Dragon Doctor, and Mr. Crumb's Potato Predicament at your local library or bookstore. We encourage you to check out Felicita Sala's amazing artwork. For more book recommendations, head to julieslibraryshow.org. Sign up for our newsletter, and you'll receive special activities and notes from Mom and me. Julie's Library is produced by Molly Bloom, Elissa Dudley, Rosie DuPont, Tracy Mumford, Mark Sanchez, and Sandon Totten. Our executive producer is Lauren D. Digital production is by Christina Lopez, and original music is from Allison Leighton Brown. Engineering is by Sam Hamilton, and sound mixing is by Corey Schreppel and Eric Romani. Special thanks to Lily Kim. And thank you to everyone who shared their words and ideas in today's episode. That's Baker. Liam from Seattle, Washington, Ellie from St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, Gabriel from Arlington, Texas, Eleanor from Minneapolis, Ainsley from Egan, Michigan, Cece from Pennsylvania, Maddie from Altadena, California, Maisie from Atlanta, Georgia, Tabitha from Chandler, Arizona, Gigi from Hagerstown, Maryland, Tess from Reading, Pennsylvania, and Lilia from Flushing, Michigan. Julie's Library is a production of American Public Media. Listeners, our friends at Smash Boom Best are back with 16 brand new episodes. Smash Boom Best is a debate podcast for the whole family. 
Each episode takes two cool things, smashes them together, and asks you to decide which one is best. Like vampires versus werewolves, ice cream versus french fries, pandas versus penguins. Using facts and the power of persuasion, debaters teach real skills about constructive debate and making sound arguments. Listen to Smash Boom Best wherever you listen to podcasts.